you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The Dave Damashek Football Program. Available on iTunes or at davedamashek.nfl.com. Now here's your host, Dave Damashek. All right, let's get it going now to uh, to great acclaim, I say. Uh, not directed at me so much as, uh, as the guy seated to my immediate left. Our discussions about the great series, great source material for us, the uh, the All or Nothing series, again, track it down, Amazon Video. It is returning again to Studio 66. Brian Baumgartner, how are you, man? I am doing fantastic. How are you? I see you've uh, you've sustained that uh, that rich hue of summertime out on the links. That's well, that's what that's just me. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah, it's just me. You just glow. It's just my luster. <laughs> It's like not it. just summer, too. Winter. We live in Southern California. What I guess you, so. Right? Yeah. yeah. Where's yours? I a, shouldn't I have more of one? You yeah. should. Yeah. Do you think I should lose the beard? Should I go Jeff Fisher mustache or what? Oh, definitely. I, yeah. You know what? If I were truly committed to what we're doing here, Brian. Yes. I would I would uh, go the full. I'd go all the way and go mustache. When was the last time you were j- just mustache? Ever? Well, it wasn't that long. Oh, mus- purely mustache. Yes. I, it was uh, a 48 uh, not spectacular hours. I went to the combine two years ago. Greg Olson and I sat down because he famously grew a beard during yes. the Panthers' yes. big run a couple years ago, and we got shaved together in Indianapolis, old school style. You right. Know? I always wanted that, the straight razor and everything. So yeah. we did it. But I said to to the barber, "Leave me with the stash. I don't know how many more chances I'm going to have at this." I went home. Um, the next day, and uh, my kids said, uh, stay away from – no, no, you can't kiss us, you can't touch us until you get rid of that uh, creepy mustache. So, right. Anyway. Well, didn't. that makes sense. <laughs> makes, makes a whole lot of sense. Don't you side with them. I, I, one thing we do have to talk – oh, matter of fact, so let's jump into it now. Okay. <clears throat> All or nothing, 
where we last left off, I hope you've watched, uh, listener, we hope you've, you've watched every episode for your sake because they really have all been grand thus far. I mean, I really, I mean, I, I, you know, now I've completed the series, but we okay, only want to, I have to show the discipline, Brian, of how far, let's decide this now. How many episodes do we want to discuss so we don't give too many spoilers and all that sort of thing? Well, I think, I, I mean, I'm super excited about the guests that we have on today, so we're probably going to hit some, some general concepts, but, but let's try to stick with the first two. Let's try to stick with the first two okay, and, and examine some key moments from that. Done and done. Okay. So that's what we'll do. And, uh, of course, they are all available for you on Amazon. And, uh, listen, this isn't, uh, you know, uh, trying to curry favor with anybody or to shill for anything. NFL Films made it. That's pretty much all you need to know, right? Yeah, I mean – Everything they do is spectacular. This, I think they've outdone themselves. I do want to say one thing, because I can't help, because when we were talking about mustaches, because okay. I think it's episode three, or is it two? I can't Already remember violating. now. Already anyway, violating. I know, I know. Yeah, that's fine. When the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Play. Oh, yes. No, that's two, right? That's two, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, it must be. Yes, it is. Anthony yes, Kiedis is. and the Chili Peppers are getting warmed up, and I don't know that I'd seen him before. Anthony Kiedis, his look is exactly uh, Bill the Butcher from Streets of New York, isn't it? Is that <laughs> it intentional? Is, it is very reminiscent. Yes, it didn't occur to me. That's an excellent observation by you. The other thing is that I remember from that game, from a fan's perspective, was it was it was like all-time hot. It was super hot. Yes, exactly. They don't talk about that so much in that episode, but yes. But what you're referring to, which – has this ever happened before? A regular season game, they have the Red Hot Chili Peppers perform a concert, like pregame, right? It That's, was that seems inside, rare. Yeah, it was. I, the, the only thing that I can throw out there is when they do the kickoff game, the NFL does the season starting game, yes. and the Super Bowl champ plays at home, and they get some noteworthy uh, uh, foe. Who is the who? Who do the Patriots play this year? Who is it again? It's somebody a little underwhelming. I forget. Is it the Bills or somebody like that? It should have been the Falcons. That's I would just redo it. Just redo the just Super Bowl. Just redo the game again. Yeah, that's all. That's what America <laughs> would get excited about that. You could start out with the Chiefs. The Chiefs. That's that's what's what's wrong that's with that? That's all right. What they what? We'll get to see Alex Smith one of his uh final 7 to 9 games as a starting quarterback for the Chiefs before uh before the kid takes over invariably. He's going to get he's going to get Kaepernicked again. You think he is? Alex Smith is going to go down. Yes, there is. Uh, is it capped? Then is it just? Do we abbreviate ooh, it? He's, oh, he just got capped. or Bledsoed. Yeah, that's so right. Okay. So you had. Uh, yeah, but capped has the other connotation. There was Lou Gehrig. Yes, and uh, and uh, I, the name escapes me now. Uh, Were you talking about Cal Ripken? No, uh, the guy who Lou Gehrig replaced. Oh, oh, uh, yes, okay. Wally Pipped. Yes. So Thank Wally you. Pipped was lasted for almost uh, an entire century, then or about ninety. Then then uh, Brady Bledsoe Bledsoe, then Cap capped Alex Smith. Now Alex Smith is going to get Mahomes, <laughs> right? He's just going to. I think he's just going to get capped. Poor guy. No one's I, ever been. No one's ever been uh, pipped twice. He's about to have it happen in the same decade. Anyhow, let's get wait, to that. You think he is? You think he is? I legitimately believe. Yes. That if he struggles and in in a brutal AFC West this year, I mean, think about it. The it's, Raiders, the yeah. Chargers are going to be are very better. good. The Broncos' defense at minimum is going to be tough, and that is uh, obviously relates directly to how Alex Smith plays. Imagine by midseason ish if they're 
you know, kind of scuttling along there. I could I could definitely see them say, "All right, let's start the future now. We ain't going to the playoffs this year anyway." I don't think they're going to get I don't think they're going to get scuttled. No? I, no, I do. I, I they're going to Here's my here's my hot take. Chiefs beat the Patriots in the first game of the season. Whoa! History says no to that because the road team almost never wins that game. No, never. It's almost always the home team. Maybe you're right. You know what? The Patriots have struggled in week one games in the past, so perhaps you're onto something there. Either way, let's bring them in now. Uh, a team that uh, he, he roots for a team like I do that uh, that once did get whipped in the season opening game by the New England Patriots. It was it was. I don't want to talk about the Cordell Stewart years. Instead, let's talk about the 2016 LA Rams with the executive producer of All or Nothing from NFL Films Pittsburgh's own Keith Cosro. How are you, man? I'm great, Dave. I can now cross this off the bucket list to come on this show and talk to you. And uh, the great Brian Baumgartner about uh, our show. Thank you. I thought you were going to leave me out for a, for a, for a half a moment, dude. Thank dude, you're fa- you're fan. You're you, you know you don't know. Let's talk Pittsburgh for a while, dude. This accent, city of well, champagne. One thing before before we go down that road. <laughs> oh my lord! I want to. You're missing one major Wally Pitt moment in sports history. Hmm. Favre replaces the magic man, Don Mikowski. <laughs> Does that count? <laughs> that Mikowski had a nice run up there. Hey, Baumgartner, Favre- you root for them Packers. Is that true? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think it qualifies. Hey, Keith, before we jump in on All or Nothing, I've gotten in with Aaron Nagler on the uh, NFL Films Top Ten list before. <clears throat> I guess this is an appropriate time to bring it up. You're another uh, uh, voice of, uh, of Packers fandom. I asserted, I mean, plainly, the greatest dynasty in NFL history is the 70 Steelers. Four rings Uh, in six years, right? Obviously. Obviously. And by the way, they didn't do it at a time when the NFL was down. The greatest teams, if we make a list of the greatest dynasties in NFL history, the top 10 or 12 of them, okay, surely along with the 80s Niners and the 90s Cowboys and the 21st Century Patriots, Packers, you also would say – the Cowboys of the 70s, you would say probably the Raiders of the 70s, you would say the Dolphins of the 70s, certainly. The Vikings were pretty close, too. And amidst all those juggernauts, who stood head and shoulders above them all? This- Chaz Knowles' team, that's who. <laughs> right? The Emperor. Is- Thank you. God, Thank you, Keith, for the unreal. support. Yeah, really. <laughs> Do you well, want to argue back well- on that? Oh, what? One point. One point, Brian, you need to recognize is that the 1976 Steelers – Okay. Had they not had injuries, Bradshaw mm-hmm. early in the season, Franco and Blyer in the playoffs, got both got hurt in Baltimore, did not play the championship game in Oakland. Had they all played, had they all been healthy in Oakland in 76, John Madden might never have gotten his, his ring. Really? That's right. That's absolutely – I mean, that. yeah, Franco right. and Rocky Blyer were both injured. Steelers had what is still considered – perhaps the greatest single-season defense in history. And, yeah, it would have been uh, the Steelers and the Vikings for the second time in three years. Uh, that would have been Super Bowl eleven. Anywho, do you want do you want to refute that or is it or, no, or, or is there no sense? Well, if you want to make a '60s Packers case, here's your chance. Bro. I mean, there's literally no way to win this argument against the two of you. Clearly, <laughs> so well, I I can tell you this though. I I a few years ago had the great privilege of producing the Lombardi documentary for HBO with 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 a producer named Joe Levine at HBO Sports. 
So I spent a good year of my life on those 60s Packers studying the one and only Vince Lombardi. And I will tell you that the 62 Packers are as good as any team that ever played football. Well, see, there you go. See, all I need is for one of you to make the argument for me. Then I just look like, no, then I just wake up. He just wants to be nice. Keith doesn't want to be offensive. He's just trying to be cool right now. That's all. All I'll say is about the uh, the 60s Packers is this. Until, you know, latter half of the decade at least, there were like three other teams. What was us? Who cared? So what? So, uh, hey, we beat one of those other three teams. We're the champs. There was, a, there was like one round of the playoffs. Big. It's the same thing as the 60 Celtics. How much stock am I supposed to put into the Bill Russell Celtics when they have to go through exactly two rounds to win the title? Thank it's you. True. No answer. No, no answer. I, I, oh, I, sorry. I thought we were waiting for Keith to respond. But, no, I mean, clearly no, you guys are true. still on the, on the same page. AFC Central by itself in the 70s. Mm-hmm. The Oilers, the Bengals, the Browns each had very good teams. The people don't realize what the Steelers had to go through. And, and by the way, still have to go through now just to get to the playoffs. The Browns? Baltimore and Cincinnati <laughs> the every bra- year. The Browns? Twice. The Patriots Sorry, have what? gone 15 years without a single elite head coach or quarterback in their division. The true. No, that, no, that, no, there's no, no, there's no question about that. No, there's no question about that. Has occurred with starting with six wins before we even crack open a It is so beer. right. I often say the greatest gift the football gods handed Tom Brady and his pal Peyton Manning was a breezy division for the vast majority of their respective careers. That's, I mean, it's undebatable, obviously. No, it's, I, no, it's not debatable at all. Um, right. I agree with you. Let's let's start here. All or nothing. Great second season. Muzzle tub to you and everyone who uh, who toiled on it. Um, starting with this, John Hamm is the narrator. Is he now going to be? Are you in negotiations to lock him in as the facenda of the 21st century? That's a good question. I'll t- Ham is awesome to work with. We work with we, one of the great things about being. NFL films is that we we work through America's game through everything else we work with a lot of great actors and we've found that actors by and large make the best narrators these days you, you hand them a script and they read a line as if it's theirs hmm. it doesn't sound like they're reading and ham is terrific and the idea that we got to work and, and continue to work with Don Draper to tell a story is you know what well- I actually think true for all of us. I actually think his work for you is is the best work of his career. John <laughs> Hams. I, I think this is the best work of his career, no question. Well, so I have a question about that. Do you do you do you do the sound uh, do you have him record after you've put the whole thing together? Yes, he comes in. Okay. He's such a pro this guy. And, and Liev is very much the same way uh, right. on Hard Knocks. Yep. So Le- Liev Schreiber is incredible. He is. That guy. Yes. Um so those guys are so good, they can just come in and bang it out in, in 15 minutes, an episode. They can, do two, they can do two, three reads of each line. We give them a little bit of direction when necessary, but mostly they get it right out of the gate. And right. It's, it's that easy with them. It, you, you, you don't resent how easy it is for them, hmm. but, right. but man, that's, it's the best work you can get in the world. If you are gifted with those pipes and that talent, that's the greatest. It's unfair, though. Why do, he, he's uh, the best looking. Uh, he's the most handsome devil walking the streets. And he <laughs> has that that voice that just naturally everything he says has this uh, sort of uh, easy 
urgency to it, paradoxically. But that, yes. it really everything he says seems uh, the Rams needed to win this game five if they were to win back. Well, the, like, well but the, but see, me, I'm sorry. He, oh, okay. Sometimes he comes in and he's and he comes in hot, and we'll be we're looking at each other and, and we'll say, John, what's what's going on? He's oh, I just I just got out of a Mercedes commercial. We got I got to stop. Selling you cards, <laughs> selling a football story. Well, I so think, we got to dial it back sometimes. I think what's interesting about him, um, which makes him him different, is that he does have the sort of casual ease of a friend that's sitting next to you on the sofa, or a, you know, a fellow fan who's going through the experience with you. Um, I think that I think that what's so what's so great about him in this role is that it's not that sort of grandiose voice of God almost um, that that was unbelievable uh, for NFL films, but but that he, he his take is is different and I think is is effective. Well, the the form has evolved so much since Facenda was in his heyday, and you could write the way Steve Sable wrote. You know, when he wrote The Autumn Wind is a Raider, you just right. you're not going to get away with writing like that anymore. Hmm. By and large, there's a couple guys in the industry who are really good. One of them who's here at NFL Films, another one named Aaron Cohen. Who's too much there. poetry, too much uh, you, fancy, high minded prose, you mean, kind of thing? You, you got to be careful. You, like, I, I prefer to go understated when I'm writing. And you want a narrator who can underplay things you know, in most cases, because right. the drama's there. We've got everybody mic'd. We've got original music that, that can blow up at any moment to, to depths and heights that that no one else in the industry can achieve with their original music. Uh, um, yeah, it's unbelievable. And, it, you know, and, and I'm reminded, too, you know, we should mention the great Josh Charles, who narrates A Football Life. I like him in spite of his rave, his uh, hardcore Ravens fandom. But yes, right. he, he does do keen work with I'm, that. I'm he's on the say, mic. He, he's awesome. He's actually he he is very very underrated and a huge part of what makes a football does, life. What it but is. does back to Ham? Does he, I, I'd like to think that he does his reads with uh, with a nail betwixt his fingers and a and a whiskey nearby. Is that fair? <laughs> I, that's how I usually he's in a booth in, in L.A. and we're here in Mount Laurel. Oh, so you can't so see in, in my head. He's that's he's how he looks smoking. And he's yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Yeah, now. The, Go ahead. Brian. Yeah, no, the, the, the you mentioned before the drama is is all there. So I, I, I guess that's my first question for you is is, well, starting off, how did you decide the Rams? And, and part two of that, when they started so strong, three and one, did you think that you had another Cardinal story on your hands? Like, did, did you believe that they were going to be good? Let's start with the second part. Okay. When they won the game in Tampa. Yes. After, in overtime, in the- after a lightning delay. And you, you get invested in these teams very quickly. Yes, you so, do. So, you know, you're, at that point, and I'm already exhausted from watching Steelers games earlier right. in the day. At that point, you're standing in front of the TV screaming already, like because we know, like, all right, we're in with this team. Hmm. We need a good start. And they start two and one, and then they go to Arizona and and win there, and it's three and one, having beaten Seattle as well. So now, it, it started really well. They're three and one. We had come out of this 
unbelievable 13 and three experience with the with Cardinals. the Cardinals, yeah. And yeah, for a minute we thought, you know what, this defense is terrific. Um, they're they're well coached. They're if they can get Gurley going and get enough out of Keenum, maybe we can, you know, the schedule lined up. It looked like if we could get to the bye week after that London game at 5-2, and two, we're going to be looking at meaningful games in December, which would be great for the show. Well, right. I guess you kind of answered. took a turn. I, in a way, I guess you're kind of answering the first part of Brian's question with, uh, with so you want, your goal, your, your hope is that the team is really good. That, I mean, because legitimately, good drama, uh, you know, needs some conflict. And if, the, you know, if you have a coach, you know, walking the tightrope every week and he might get canned and everything, that's obviously pretty, uh, pretty uh, you know, ugly human drama, relatively here's speaking. The, here's what everybody needs to know about this season of this series. In 55 years, we've never even been close to a position like we were in with the Rams this season that no you I mean for a for myriad reasons you're hopeful that things are going well right because you know you're well you care about the people now right you're into the people you're invested we've got a crew on site at all times that are living with this team you know and if if things start going badly you're worried about the crew. You're worried about the production. You're worried about things about, you know, potentially are they going to look at us and say we're part of the problem. Right. So you're, you're, you're nervous about that stuff. And all of this was new, you know, 24 seven other shows, obviously we do hard knocks. Other shows have come along where, where teams have been embedded or, or crews have been embedded with a team for six weeks at a time, maybe eight weeks, right? but never an entire season and right. not every day of an entire season. So the experience with the Cardinals was all new and you know, they're winning every week. So n- nobody's going to look at us and say, you guys are a problem. It was, it was perfect. And we like to think that we've w- through technology and experience and everything else there, we're able to be flies on the wall, really. Like, you know, we're able to, to allow you to do your jobs and we'll do our jobs and, and we're not going to get in your way. What we had never experienced in all these years is we're going to be embedded with you and everything's going to go to pieces in the middle of the thing. Right. And what, what happens next? So, no, we didn't set out last year saying, well, we did a great team in year one. Let's do a bad team in year two. That was not the idea. Sure. We don't feel like we need to go shoot the team that's going to win the Super Bowl every year. But I think what we learned from this experience, and and credit to the Rams, they were terrific, and especially credit to our directors and our crew, our our directors, Shannon Furman and Pat Harris, who lived with the team. The relationships were very strong. The team trusted them and allowed them to keep shooting. But what we learned is that there are 32 teams – there are 32 different narratives, different right. stories, and every one of them is going to be full of its own twists and turns in the NFL. And we could probably do this for every team every season and come out with a reasonably interesting product. 32 different stories, right. Did so, so picking up on something you just said, did you ever get blamed? Did, did the Rams ever turn on you guys through the, the story? Never, no. once. That's, that's, Never once. That's unbelievable. Well, did you because then you... feel like – because the, the, the recurring thing that Fisher on down and actually above Fisher, you hear a lot of this talk of, 
it's insinuated, well, this move is really making it hard for us. You know, this move uh, from St. Louis out here, from what you could glean, obviously you've been around more teams uh, th- than just the Rams in the process of making this move. Is that fair to say, well, you know, 2016 was awfully hard to win in because of what we had to go through as human beings? I don't think anybody realized the complexity of that particular move. Right. That they were going to go to three different places and then ultimately settle in a temporary facility that they built from scratch in, in five months. And so they, you know, you're, you're uprooting, you know, and this is what we don't realize as fans and that we try to, to, to get into as storytellers in the show is these are families being uprooted and relocated. And that's, that's a, that's a complex thing for any of us. You know, some of us have had to do it in our professional lives but imagine an entire organization being uprooted all at once. And they didn't just walk into a palace in L.A. They start uh, in Ox- Oxnard. Not even in Oxnard. Somewhere else. Yeah, they start in Oxnard. And then, and then they go to camp at Irvine. And then they get to Thousand Oaks. So they get, you know, the first day of, of, of practice after final cuts and training camp. They're using their GPS. They're using their Google Maps to get to, to, get to the office. Right. It's basically like a season's worth of road games, in other words. And obviously we right. know professional athletes perform better at home. Right. And, and, and at that same time, their wives and their children are getting settled. You know, mm. a lot of these guys, are, they're in their mid-20s. They've got young wives, young families. A lot of them have babies. You see in the first episode, uh, Alec Ogletree's wife has a baby right before training. Right, and he has to leave. That's right, yeah. He leaves, and, and you, you visit with her at home, and she says this is the hardest thing I've ever been through. I basically spent two weeks just crying all day every day. So, you know, we've all been in a situation, and any spouse has, where you get a call. You're on the road for a week or two, and you get a call from your wife or your husband saying, um, you know, get home, please, as soon as you possibly can. This is awful. Right. So if you've got a, you know... So getting a sense of that experience and what these guys went through, um, it's hopefully something we were able to convey in the show. And I don't know that Fisher or anybody else used it as an excuse so much as this is the overwhelming reality that we are faced with. Right. And no one in the NFL cares. Hmm. They're going to show up on Sunday and they're going to try to kick our ass. (laughs) Right. Any other team, any other Sunday – and we're going to have to address the fact that this is happening to us, deal with it, overcome it, and get to work. And I, by and large, I think they did a very good job of it. I really do. Well, something that you did a very good job of, I thought, was the, the whole road trip to London story as well that comes, what, like week four? Week four, week five, where they have this 11,000-mile trip from – you know, from L.A. to they go to Detroit and then they go straight to London for a week. And that the, the, the toll that that took after having just done all of these other series of moves from from St. Louis, I thought you, you guys did a, a fantastic job of that. And maybe you can talk a little bit to, to that aspect of it as well. Well, now it's not just the moves. So the season starts. They go to San Francisco for week one. They come home. They have a home game against Seattle. Fly across country to Tampa. Right. Come all the way home. Then they have a road game in Arizona. That's when they're three and one. They have another home game against Buffalo. Now they're three and two. Then they go to Detroit, and like you said, they decide we're not coming home. We're just going to go straight to London and spend the whole week there. 
So think about the, they traveled more than any team in the NFL last season on top of three moves. Right. So that by by the time they got to London and when they're in London and that's that's in show four, you can see it the cumulative effect start to really, really show up. And 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 most personified, I think, by William Hayes. Yeah. Who is literally sitting at practice trying to keep his eyes open, trying to adjust to an eight-hour time change from L.A. in London with a game in four days. And, it, you know, it, you do have to stop. And, you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for these guys. They're making tons of money, and they're famous athletes. But that was, that was a significantly more difficult proposition than the other 31 teams face. And just as a side note, it, it, it does just, uh, and not just because I know some of the shooters and producers over there with you in, uh, at films, what about their lives? Uh, how, I mean, what, <laughs> how much were those, were, were, were everybody, everybody you're working with uh, compromised for six months of their lives? You got to know this. The two directors in L.A. for this season, Shannon Furman and Pat Harris, were also directors at Hard Knocks. So, so oh, they so, spent wow, the right. entire six weeks of Hard Knocks and then basically never came home and then alternated weeks for the entire season. Back and forth from New Jersey and L.A. Eh, so geez. what they did this season was – Absolutely incredible. We're going to talk to Shannon on a later uh, episode here on the DDFP coming up in the uh, next few weeks. What she did is extraordinary. And Shannon's a big reason why the show even happened because Jeff Fisher and she, she is terrific at building relationships with players, with coaches. And, you know, after a couple weeks of hard knocks, they felt so good about her and being with her. And we were still not sure whether uh, the Rams were going to do it. And we were talking to a couple other teams. But the Rams felt so good, and Jeff Fisher felt so good about Shannon's presence and that she was going to stay on board that 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 almost sealed the deal. The well, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse as we're still in the midst of uh, of 2016 Rams, but is this on track to become a, a, a perennial thing like uh, Hard Knocks? That's certainly the idea. Um, and I, I think we and, and Amazon are, you know, hopefully the response to this Rams season is positive. I, I think fan, there's been a lot of people who have asked, why are you doing the Rams? You did hard knocks on them. They were terrible. And nobody, you know, nobody realizes the process that you, right, know, you, you make this decision and you take the plunge. You don't know how a team's going to do in the NFL. It's impossible to predict. But um, hopefully people respond to this one, but I, I think that season three is likely. We're talking to several teams now, and hopefully we uh, seal the deal here over the summer. The, the analogy that occurred to me, if NFL Films doesn't have the best track record, I, I, I suppose it does have the best track record of creating documentary-style stuff about pro sports, um, the single standalone best feature I've ever seen is uh, Hoop Dreams, and I feel like there's a connection between Hoop Dreams and the 2016 Rams, which is that there's a bit of, and I'm not being glib, but there's some serendipity for you guys in terms of drama. You go into it with one set of probably expectations. You didn't see Jeff Fisher getting fired in the middle of it. It's a little bit like Arthur Agee getting kicked out of the private school and having to go back, and it turns into this study, into uh, this study of uh, of um, 
human beings and how they react to de- you know uh, no, that's an, that we talked really smart point. We, Brian and I uh, were talking about that uh, last week. The same thing is is the human element of how Jeff Fisher breaks it to his team. Every human being wouldn't approach it in the same way when he tells his coaches it's going to be a lot to handle. It's going to be a tough week, but I won't be there. <laughs> Because I'm not your coach anymore. Right. Like it's, a, it's a very dramatic delivery he gives. Uh, well, yeah, and so talk a little bit to, to us about about that. Well, I guess the first question, right, is what when did when did you, when did your crew know on that day that it had happened? Like, did, were you just in a coach's meeting and suddenly he says what, what Dave just said, or we somebody might have tweeted it, like Ed Werder. Right. It's very early that it was happening. But we did not know the night before. You know, they got blown, their doors blown off by Atlanta. And it was a very ugly scene. And, and I think a, that game in the series is, is an important moment because you see them sink to a depth that they, that they had not previously sunk emotionally. Um, particularly in the locker room at halftime, is a, is a really significant moment in that in the series. But so we we were at that point were wondering is he going to make it to the end? And then Shannon called, and Shannon and Pat happened to both be there that day. Thank God, and said you know a text he's get, he's getting fired, and no one ever told us to stop rolling hmm. that day that's so at wow. no point the entire day did we ever stop rolling the cameras and you know that like hard knocks there are robotic cameras in the meeting rooms that we control you know so that they can have these meetings without having a camera crew a film crew in there shooting everything you know it just creates more separation where they can be themselves and not have to be conscious of a camera right. shooting them all the time was that the case so, that morning in yeah, in, so we, in in those rooms, so there weren't actual camera men in. The, it was oh okay, that makes it even never. more fascinating. No, if you look at those scenes, all the all the shots are from up high. Yeah, you right. can tell. Those yeah, robotic that's right. Cameras are typically up high in those rooms um, for a number of reasons, but all the you know, and that that's why you get those moments the way you do. You don't have to knock on the door and be like, oh you oh you're getting fired right now. Do you mind if we shoot this? No. It, you don't have to ask. It's understood we're shooting, you know, and, 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 and we'll, we'll worry about it later. Are you um, with, with that Falcons because that, yeah, you can feel that it's it's the, well, I guess maybe 2020 hindsight uh, lets us really know that that was the decisive game. But did, did the your producer Spidey Sense go off and say, you know, at halftime when you, uh, Fisher and a lot of uh, NFL head coaches seem to thrive or try or to try to uh, motivate their team with platitudes, you know, and it was a lot of like, "Who are we now? It's the ch- the time for you to answer. Who we are? Where's your pride and where's your dignity?" And Todd Gurley's yelling, and we're the, and William Hayes is saying, "This is on us," and all this fiery talk. And now our backs are to the wall. And how are we going to respond? Well, not very well. Not very well, I guess, in these final thirty minutes. And did you sense, well, that, I mean, I think the Rams are maybe going to make a move here. We better be prepped for that. I think at that point, we were all asking ourselves, like, is this going to actually happen? And if it does, <laughs> like, like, we've never been here before. It's one of those moments where we're asking ourselves, 
what would Steve be saying right now hmm. if Steve Sable was still right. here? And, you know, we have to trust it. And, and the, the directors on site had such a good relationship with them. But it, was, it happened on a Monday morning. You know, it's right after that game. Right. And that was the game, if you remember, Todd Gurley. Now, at halftime, Todd Gurley really, really blows up. And yes. you had never seen anything like that from him before, um, and, and, which I think is, is a bit of a signal. And then after the game, if you remember, he in his, at the locker room, which isn't in the show, but said we have a JV offense and was very critical of everything. And I, I think that was the moment that, that the Rams probably realized. It was you uh, you hear that. That's I mean, that's a recurring thing. And we're going to talk to uh, A.J. Hawk on, a, on another episode. Can't wait for that to, because, you know, he's with – He's in one of the organizations that is uh, that is a have, you know, that that is a stable environment and everything else. But I want, you know, Hawk and company must hear it from Packers fans, even nice as uh, Packers fans tend to be that hey, Aaron Rodgers and company are doing their part. What about the defense? Some seasons it was interesting that even when they're walking off the field from the Tampa game, I think it was, so episode two or three, they're walking off the field there, and he says to T.J. McDonald, sorry, man, sorry, you know, like we got to help you out. We keep jamming you guys right. and having you to win all these games. Like, oh, we'll get it straight. You know, we'll get it straight, says T.J. McDonald. But I even think that that interaction is fascinating, that players from both sides of the ball are both fully – they're human beings. Of course they're aware of it, no matter what the coaches say. And I would I, – I keep going back to this point, but, like, you know, we've been doing this for – a long time and we've never made a show about a team in this circumstance you know we're nfl film do you expect us to cue up the big music and the voice of god and give right. you goosebumps when the team wins the super bowl and here we have a team losing every week and finding new ways to lose every week it's a completely different emotional uh experience but the thing that that it's almost subtle in the series we didn't want to overplay it or overwrite it but these guys never turned on each other. And you hear yeah. stories about teams' offenses turning on defenses and locker rooms disintegrating. This team, never that never happened the that, whole year. That occurred to me, actually, as, as I was watching it as well. And, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think there was a part of me as I was watching that was thinking, well, surely NFL Films has kind of cut some of that nasty stuff out and kind of kept everybody on the same page. But you're saying that not well, – not, I mean, of course there were, you know, apologies from the offense or whatever, as Dave just mentioned. But, but you're saying there's – at no point did you feel like there was, there was true conflict between the players. No. What, you, what you're seeing in the show is what actually happened. We did not reshape it so that it would feel better. These guys stuck together to the bitter end. And, I, you know, I, jumping ahead, you know, spoiler alert, but the – Show seven, you know, show six is the episode where Coach Fisher's let go, and I think that's the episode most people will talk about. And if you, you know, if you can only watch one episode of this series, obviously that's the one to watch, and we constructed it that way so that it would really stand alone. Even but the clip show- of that, by the way, that has uh, been pushed out on the – in the social media right. by the NFL has already a couple million clicks out of people yeah. that, that human drama, it's, you know, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Oh, I, you know, you're seeing something you've never seen before in a way you've never seen it. And, you know, in the, in the, what you're seeing that's gone out on social media is, is it just a, a barely a glimpse of, of, of sure. the scene that actually plays out on the show. But 
the next episode, show seven, where John Fossil is suddenly thrust behind the steering right. wheel of this sinking ship. To me, in two seasons of doing this show, I would say show seven of the first season where the Cardinals win the classic playoff. Yeah, let's not talk about that one. Uh huh. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Show six of this series for obvious reasons, and then show seven of this series where Fossil is the head coach, and he's John Fossil is the character, the person in this series who who, who left the deepest impression on me. He's the Hi, hero. This that? is what we were saying before we connected with you. He's the he, hero, right? I mean, he's he is, gosh, what a good guy. He's such a good guy, and he's and, and what happens is that he comes across as just a normal guy. He's sort of our proxy. Like, right. you know, he's this guy with a wife and two little girls, and he's a coach. And, you know, you get early in an early episode, I think show three, a little bit of his backstory that, yep. you know, they're, <clears throat> he, he's sleeping at nights in, in, the, in the office, and he's barely seeing his kids as they're traveling all over the country. And when, after they go to London, he hasn't seen his kids in like three weeks. But all of a sudden, we introduce him a little more in show six, and you see he's a little bit goofy, but he's this terrific special teams coach. He's one of the best special teams coaches in football. His dad is Jim Fossil, obviously. And then all of a sudden, he's named the head coach, the interim coach, kind of out of nowhere. And he's shocked by it. Did nobody, we talked about that, did McGinnis or, uh, or Williams or anyone else say, like, well, I'm the natural choice here. I, I, you know, I have a little head coaching experience. <clears throat> Obviously, they had a lot of head coaches on that staff. Yeah. Singletary. Williams, oh, and Singletary. I keep forgetting. McGinnis. Yeah, By the way, the reason options. Singletary shook his hand, someone solved for me on Twitter. I didn't connect the dots. They were both in the 46 defense with the 85 Bears. They knew each other I for was, a long time. I was going to tell you that. Yes. I, I saw, yeah, they knew each other from, I think, their rookie years in 1981. I still didn't care for the handshake moment. How say you? I thought that was a little much. That showed yeah, up it, the rest of the coaches. I think – in that moment, when we, you know, when we saw it originally, somebody edited it and, 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 you know, you don't know how long are we going to let this whole scene run? What are we doing? Right. And, you know, our decision obviously was, no, 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 we're going to show everything here. But when you see him get up, it's a genuinely surprising moment. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's, it is, it you know, seems from out of nowhere. Yes. Well, but, but that's, you have to understand their relationship. And right. I think it's. It, I think it's also Singletary cueing to the rest of the guys. You know, we're gonna we have to we have to pivot here and make sure we show him some love. Hmm. I, I think there's a little bit of an example being set. Yeah, the- but see, I, well, okay. I mean, it's because that because that thing played on social media in our conversation last week, and I and I totally hear the point that you're now. Making. I feel like a heel. They have by a the history. Way. I know, I know, I do too. <laughs> but I still maintain that it was it it comes across as not a genuine moment of love to me. I, I think I – th- I don't want to speak for Dave, but I think that that's what we were responding to, that it didn't seem like a moment with history. It seemed like a formal show. That was my problem. With, whereas, as the other coaches, once everything sort of breaks apart, are hugging him and, and, and you feel real emotion – that, so, to be very clear, that was my problem with Do that. you ever say, or do the directors ever say, like, that was okay, Mike, let's go again. Let's see you do it. But <laughs> I was about to say, it's so interesting to actually produce one of these shows because I'm just like you guys, you know, and I, you want to you analyze this stuff and, and, and get into the, like, what was he thinking there? Was he playing to the cameras? And 
when you're producing one of these shows, it's a totally different experience. And the decisions you're making are, do we let this play? Is there some, should we be editing this? What, what's the context required for the audience? At what point do we just let this thing roll? And we made the decision, we are going to let this play, and you're going to see Fisher hug every single one of these coaches. Right. For as long as it takes, and let them walk out of the room, and then we're going to go to the next meeting, and you're going to experience the entire conversation there and the incredibly awkward, pained, almost traumatized silence after Fisher walks out of the room and you hear a player from the back of the room say, that's our fault. And, so you know, pays. you make all these mm -hmm. decisions. It's such a different seat to be in. I wish, I wish everybody could do it. I remember when we did the first Hard Knocks in 2001 with the Ravens and Bill Simmons was just coming up as the sports guy on page two. Not familiar. On ESPN.com. Who is he? And Simmons wrote, <laughs> but back then he was, nobody knew who Bill Simmons, he was this guy who was writing these funny co columns from his couch. And he did a, a, one of his running diaries of hard knocks. And we got, you know, when he does that for your show, it's the greatest thing in the world back then. We loved it. But, you know, being on the other side of it, it was such an awkward, it was such a, a different experience than, you know, when you're reading any of his other running diaries. So listening to you guys talk about the Singletary moment, it's somewhat similar in the way that we all like to break this stuff down as fans, as viewers. But when you're in the show, when you're producing the show, when you're telling the story, what, you know, I have no choice but to think of it as, here's what happened. This is what Mike Singletary right. got up. You're and a did journalist, in, in other words. Moment. You're telling the story. You're, you're uh, a movie mate. You're a storyteller, but you're also a journalist. It would be weird if you were like, I thought that was bogus. Yeah. Uh, I, well, well, one thing we're the we would never here. call our, we would never call ourselves journalists at NFL Films, <laughs> but we are storytellers. And what we want to do as documentarians is just get out of the way. And whatever right. Singletary was doing in that moment, leave it for everyone else to decide what what that meant right what his motivations were and you almost have to like clear your mind and just say we're going to present this as it happened we're not going to put any and that was another decision we made we're not going to put any music under any of this right we're just going to let it play because this is as extraordinary and intimate a situation as we've ever presented in all of our years of doing this at NFL films. Well, and as usual though, I, 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 you know, I really do think it's uh, tremendous stuff. And, but like you touched on there, it, I, you know, I almost feel like I'm up on Mount Pius talking to, to football fans sometimes about this when I say it's uh, something so basic, but, be, but then I do see the feedback in, in, in uh, on Twitter and Facebook. There is always going to be a percentage of fans who say, well, he should have been fired. He was terrible. But it, it, is, it is worth repeating, and that's what NFL Films has done forever so well, is you do show the players as three-dimensional human beings, not just football players. For the, you know, and, and, and I do think looking ahead now to the next Hard Knocks, I think you guys uh, have landed on a great one there. Jameis and Mike Evans and, Jer I mean, you know, Gerald McCoy, you got a gaggle of – dynamite personalities coming up for you next month. I think this has a chance to be a, a terrific hard knocks. One that's a little different than many. I, you know, I, I think coach, the head coach, Dirk Cutter is a bit of an unknown quantity mm -hmm. and hard knocks typically is 
quite dependent on the head coach right. to provide the backbone. Uh, because hard knocks, the, the challenge with hard knocks, and I don't know if we ever realized this completely until we started doing all or nothing. Hard knocks essentially has the same plot every year. And there's not much we can do about that. The nuance it's, it's, is, it's right. a, and it's a fascinating one every year, and I like to either make fun of it or hail the, the, the organization for the way they the way they cut people. Right. The, the Bengals <laughs> were informed by Hard Knocks. I assert here and now that they learned from the first go-round on Hard Knocks to the second that America was like, you cut guys by waking them up in the middle of the night? <laughs> Under the cloak of darkness, you knock on their door at 5 a.m. And, like, it's not even the coach. You just, like, get your playbook. Like, well, I'm asleep. <laughs> what, I mean, you're waking me up to tell me I have to clear out? What, what, I couldn't have an extra couple hours? And that, But then Jerry Jones has them – like, whatever you want to say, Jerry has them come to his office and he does it face-to-face. I, 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 uh, I hail that. Right. It is, it is different. I mean, the difference in hard knocks is always, I mean, I could, we could talk about that particular subject for hours. The, uh, every team does it their own way. And, and, and I think over the years, teams have watched other teams doing it to, 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 Oh know, yeah. What about the new the roster right cuts though? I'm so I, uh, now that you, that, that they all are done in mass at the end of training camp, that's going to, but, you know, that that's a major a, element a, that you'll lose. A major wrinkle. That's a major wrinkle in show four. Show four has traditionally been the episode four, where you get yes. the first round of cuts. Let's do knocks. jokes then. I'll come out to Tampa <laughs> and we'll do a thing where I'll, we'll see if they know the new rules and I'll just knock on their doors <laughs> and say, get your playbook. And then we'll see how they react. And it'll be a zany uh, little side thing. Well, this is, I mean, this throws a monkey wrench in everything. Not to dehumanize what these shows do, which is humanize the, the most painful part of life in pro football. But um, as, as the producers of Hard and I don't work on Hard Knocks anymore. I did six years, and I was the guy who would put the whole show together. And it took at least six years off my life, right. that job. But, uh, and it's an amazing show. You know, Hard Knocks is obviously very special. But now we're going to have 37 cuts, I think, come in on over the weekend. Hard Knocks is in real time, man. It, that means we're going to have to have an army of people here at Films on Labor Day weekend sifting through the wreckage there to try to find, the, you know, the pieces that we're going to use. And, and the guys that put together the show now – well, it's going to be really hard in show five. It really is. Because it used to be maybe 20, 25 cuts, and you're figuring out, you know, which guys' stories we're going to tell in show five and, and whose, whose stories need to be wrapped up. So it's going to be a real challenge. Guys who you did one. not know about, uh, you know, 120 minutes worth of video before suddenly you're heartbroken for them. I know. When they uh, have to bring their playbook. It reminds well, me, Keith, I always say, like, if you hear the bit that I would do, if they ever said, like, hey, uh, Dave, coach needs to see you, bring your playbook, the move I would make is I wouldn't bring the playbook. And then they'd be like, well, you got to go get that playbook because you can't leave until you bring the playbook. And I'll be like, oh, okay, oh, I don't know what I did with it. And then you just keep kicking it down the road. Then it's mid-October, and they you, they never got rid of you. Exactly. You say you're still as on the team. As long as you have the playbook. That, I didn't turn playbook. it. Oh, I, uh, next week, can I get – oh, I think my – I left you know, it at home. True, yeah. Keith, would that work? It's amazing that there even is a playbook anymore, if you think about it. Can you believe there's actually a physical playbook? Oh, right. They, like, they, all get an, they all get their Microsoft Surface, right? Like, 
Why is there even bring your play? It's, now it's, you know, bring your iPad. Bring your I surface. was talking to Kyle. Uh, we were about to interview Kyle Shanahan at media night before the Super Bowl. And he said, okay. And then he started looking around and he said, wait a second. I don't know what happened to my backpack. And it had the playbook in it. Right. And he, and he understandably freaked. And I think for like 15 minutes or maybe – a couple of hours or that he couldn't locate the bag that had the playbook what they what that what he was scheming up for the Super Bowl in it. Well, yeah, exactly. And I wonder who had it. I, I wonder who from the Patriots. A ne'er do well. That's I wonder it. who oh, from the Patriots oh, brought it. Okay, here we go. That we go. instituted the fourth quarter plan. How dare you, that Brian? Beat How dare you, my hometown like Falcons <laughs> in the I, Super Bowl. I want to go back to a point though that you that you made, David, a minute ago that. Both of these shows, um, what we get a chance to do is to humanize uh, this life that all of us can sit on our couch and armchair quarterback and yell at our TVs and tweet that, that this coach should be fired and this player should be cut without having any connection to what that really means. And to do a season of, of all or nothing about a team where the entire coaching staff got fired it was it was a it was an eye-opening experience for all of us. We've never seen it. I've been here 20 years and I've never seen that. Just to think that this happens to seven or eight teams every year. Right. A quarter of the teams in the NFL are going to fire their coach this year. And that means that not just that guy and his family lost their job, but his entire coaching staff in all likelihood you- and their families have lost their jobs and have to move. And to be able to tell that story through the eyes of someone like John Foss or Rob Boris, the, the first-year offensive coordinator who ends up being let go, and, and we followed all the way to Buffalo to his new job in the last episode, I think gives all of us as fans a chance to understand the NFL and all of pro sports in a way that we never really have. Well, you know, like I always say, we have to delude ourselves as grown-ups to sort of assume that players, because they wear the jersey of our city's colors, care or as invested emotionally as we are. But beyond that, though, I do think, you know, as they say, the, the, the peaks don't feel as high if you haven't been in the valleys. I think seeing the fallibility of the players and the coaches in the organization collectively makes you appreciate it. If you as a fan can see... Oh, it's it's awfully tough, and every little thing has to go go just right for you to actually win. It makes it more satisfying if you ultimately can do it. Keith Cosgrove, awesome stuff, man. I really would love to talk to you for another few hours about this. Hopefully, we can do that on the banks of the Three Rivers one day, or perhaps out here in Los Angeles, well, or a point in between. You know, PNC Park, dude. Maybe let's go nice. see the Buccos. They ain't half bad. Pittsburgh's the city maybe, of champagnes, dude. Maybe Marte comes back and they put. Put together a little song in the second half. I ain't giving up on Debacco oh yet. Don't God. be a jack. All right, you guys. <laughs> Keith, congratulations. Hey, it's been great. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Yeah, congratulations, it's, man. It's, awesome, it's so awesome great. stuff. There he goes, Keith, right. K- Keith Cosgrove. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Brian Baumgartner is back again. What are we doing next Thursday? Brian's back in MVP. All right, excellent. We'll be back in. We'll continue to chop it up. A.J. Hawk on the way. Hearing some tale of a signal caller or two of some repute. Don't want to let the cat out of the bag there. Till then, it's been a thin slice of heaven. You go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.